This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Books of Life. Rapists don't discriminate. If you or someone you love has been hurt, the North Coast Rape Crisis Team is available 24 hours a day at 445-2881. And support for KMUD comes apart from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made from... Sorry, made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And we are KMUD, Redwood Community Radio. Garberville, 91.1 FM, KMUE, Eureka Arcada, 88.3 FM, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and FM Translator, K258BQ Shelter Cove, 99.5, on the web at kmud.org. And coming right up, we have Ask Your Herb Doctor, although their nice CD is not working. It's funny because it doesn't work in my computer, and now it does not work in the most reliable of our lovely KMUD CD players. And I will try on the unreliable KMUD CD player, and if not, actually, I have a lovely song, and we're going to have a new theme song for right this second. Here we go. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson-Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. As I mentioned a few months ago, it's become increasingly obvious over the last few years that if you really want to get a point across, you cannot just mention it once or twice, but that varied topics encompassing a similar root subject will allow the emergence of a coherent view of the matter in question. Association is, after all, an excellent tool for improving the memory. Now, we get such a lot of positive feedback concerning Dr. Ray Pete on our shows that he's joining us again tonight, and we want to explore misconceptions in medicine and marketing uh, related to serotonin and melatonin, but with wider implications for medical drugs in general, as well as uh, carrying on last month's topic on the Fukushima incident, which is still ongoing, unfortunately. Uh, thank you once again for joining us, Dr. Pete. Hello? Okay, maybe he's not with us just yet. Well, uh, 
All right, well, until he comes on, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garbaville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's topic of the continuing Fukushima incident and the misconception in medicine uh, surrounding serotonin and melatonin, uh, with wider implications for medical drugs in general. Um, okay, so I think we've got Dr. Pete on the line, so thank you once again for joining us, Dr. Pete. Hello. Okay, thank you. Um, I think probably if we start with uh, finishing off last month's topic on... Well, first I'd like um, you to introduce Dr. Pete to our listeners. <laughs> okay, well done. You've introduced <laughs> us, and my name's Sarah. This is Andrew. Hey, we always do this. I'm so sorry. I got thrown a little bit there when he wasn't joining us, so I kind of skipped the intro, Dr. Pete. So if you would, right. please just uh, uh, describe your academic uh, professional background for those who perhaps have never listened to you. Okay. Um, a after I had uh, studied and taught uh, literature and linguistics, uh, I decided that to understand uh, consciousness and language, I should study the brain but um, when I started graduate school in uh, specializing in nerve biology, I discovered that uh, the brain scientists were just as dogmatic as the linguistic theorists, so I uh, went into general uh, physiology, uh, specializing in reproductive endocrinology. And uh, uh, that was uh, one aspect of that got me interested in uh, the biological effects of radiation, although I had been uh, interested in the uh, fallout from the uh, nuclear tests for many years as a big problem. So um, when I saw that the biology of estrogen was very similar to the biology of radiation damage, uh, I tried to uh, understand uh, just what was going on in a cell that cause uh, identical biochemical events to occur either from uh, a, a dose of x-rays or a dose of estrogen. Okay. All right. Well, to, uh, I guess to continue on and um, uh, wrap up last week, uh, last month's um, presentation on the Fukushima uh, dilemma, what was happening there, unfortunately the uh, power plant is still smoldering and it doesn't look like there's going to be any real uh, hope of having it calm down sufficiently at least until September, I heard, as a, uh, a realistic date. Um, the uh, cores themselves are not either approachable or too hot to deal with at this point in time, and it looks like they're going to continue smoking away. And then the initial stages um, of the uh, development of this uh, catastrophe, the um, several websites were uh, revealing information. I think one of the first ones we came across was an Austrian website, and it was uh, zamg.au. Uh, AU, I think it was .au something. I can give that address out a little bit later on. Uh, and there's also um, uh, a, a website, RADNET, which is the EPA, uh, RADNET Air Concentration Measurement Data. Um, they, they were giving out measurements right in the early days, and um, we could see, looking at the, uh, uh, the model of the uh, plume fallout from Fukushima, that it was spreading across the Pacific and was eventually going to touch land on the west coast and or affect northern 
uh, and southern latitudes. Um, Sarah, I should, do we want to uh, go cover some of what's um, gone on with those those results uh, to date, um, and just yeah, just cover some more of that. Well, I've only found one one PDF file on the EPA's website that lists uh, reported uranium in Anaheim, uranium two three four in Anaheim, Riverside, on March fifteenth, and then also in Seattle and San Francisco on March 18th. And I haven't seen an updated file of recent records of um, uranium. On that same PDF, it did list plutonium. It had a column for plutonium, but it didn't list that it had detected any. Right. It seems to have shut down the... the, uh, Well, I'm not sure if that's just because hmm. they haven't detected any or they haven't reported Hmm. what they have detected. It seems that there's um, iodine being detected in the rainwater and the air all over the country and I don't know if that's we can presume that's from Japan or whether that was being detected there before the accident and we only see the after the accident. Uh, Dr. P, I wonder, I, I had a look on, uh, there's an interesting website which is called the Modern Survival Blog, which covers many different topics uh, relating to preparedness, etc. And uh, when this incident happened, um, the person who runs Modern Survival Blog uh, got straight on it and was posting a day-by-day uh, uh, yeah, scenario of what was happening. Um, there was a, a, a retired uh, nuclear... Uh, scientist, I think that was his title, nuclear scientist, called uh, Arnie Gunderson, who I think he's been on several radio and television uh, interviews uh, with uh, various people uh, detailing what's happening. And from the very outset of the incident, he was saying that rather than being a level five accident, it was already a seven about a month ago. And in fact, they raised it from a five to a seven now. Um, so um, in, in terms of what's uh, what's pers- potentially happening here what do you think is some of the best advice um, people could um, take um, I think the, the basic thing is to eat old food uh, canned or dried food uh, and avoid uh, fresh vegetables as far as you can do that mm-hmm. and uh, uh, to um, for example cheese aged cheese is going to be completely safe for a long time and uh, Avoiding the uh, iodine damage to the thyroid gland, you can pretty well protect yourself by uh, saturating yourself with iodine from kelp and eating canned oysters and other shellfish and uh, maybe even taking, uh, if you paint tincture of iodine on your skin, you absorb quite a bit of it. Okay. So uh, you can saturate yourself with iodine to protect the gland, uh, thyroid gland, during the time that iodine is still active, which uh, it stays uh, harmful for roughly six weeks after its creation. Uh, So if they're still making new radioactive iodine and emitting it, uh, there's no telling how long uh, that might continue to be a problem. What, what's your, um, what's your impers- impression of uh, potassium iodide as a supplement? Um, well, it has its own long-range potentially harmful effects. Uh, even one milligram a day uh, in a chronic uh, diet uh, is known to be associated with thyroiditis, uh, hypothyroidism, and uh, 
greatly increased rate of thyroid cancer. So uh, you don't want to take any thyroid supplement uh, beyond a normal dietary uh, sufficiency, right. except in the presence of, of serious uh, radioactive iodine exposure. But um, considering the the risk from the radioactive iodine, I think a, a few milligrams of uh, potassium iodide per day is uh, a reasonable right. uh, balance. Okay, but you, you would uh, probably, I think in a lot of ways with most things, you would rather see these things come from nutrition. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, it's a safer, balanced amount. Uh, even iodized salt is now seen to correlate with increased thyroiditis. Hmm. Okay. So just what they're putting it, they're putting iodine in our salt to try to protect us from thyroid problems, and in fact, it's now been associated with causing thyroid problems. Yeah. So a half a teaspoon of kelp powder a couple times a week or a couple milligrams of potassium iodide, if you're in an area that has iodine coming, or even if you're not, with an in an area with radioactive iodine, the fact that that low that low dose shouldn't be too harmful for several weeks. Um, for most people, not. A few people have some strange uh, hypersensitivity to to iodine, so you want to test the first dose, a very small amount, because uh, some people get an asthma attack or other very violent symptoms from even a small dose of iodine. Okay. And then the other um, site I wanted to mention was the beta count on the RADnet data, the EPA's website. It's showing that there's been up to 50 counts per minute. Well, and it, 50 per second is, is where I would uh, be seriously <laughs> concerned, but 50 per minute wouldn't be bad. So, and that was showing, like in Eureka, California, they have a beta count monitor and it's showing it was up to 50 counts per minute before the Japanese um, <coughs> catastrophe, and it continues sometimes reaching up to that level. So locally, um, if this information is correct, which it, it, there's another website that's called Radiation Network, and it's a private, or it's not private, it's a, bunch of individuals with their Geiger counters and they've hooked up to a database that's on real time. So every minute this website updates with the counts, the um, beta counts per minute. And so that's another place people might want to go if they're interested to look at real time around the country and it's called radiationnetwork.com. The government website is the epa.gov and you click on Japanese nuclear emergency. Okay, and then uh, lastly, that other one uh, I mentioned at the beginning uh, was uh, modernsurvivalblog.com and uh, the uh, nuclear scientific engineer, uh, Arnie Gunderson, he's got a couple of posts on the site and uh, is basically giving a day-by-day -day, uh, breakdown of what's been happening. Okay, I think um, as time goes on, um, these things will become more apparent. Uh, but unfortunately, I think what he was, what Arnie Gunderson was bringing out was the striking similarities in the uh, cover-up of information between Chernobyl, uh, Three Mile Island, and this uh, this incident. 
and that um, it's unfortunate, but um, to the, the pathways of which the information comes is uh, restricted in many ways at many times. Um, the same thing holds true, uh, and that will be the focus of the rest of the show, uh, for a lot of pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, pharmaceutical drugs and drugs in general are manufactured for profit um, with uh, supposed uh, pathologies to treat and uh, not always uh, does the truth emerge uh, until much later perhaps when they're withdrawn. Um, unfortunately the uh, motive behind their production is not always not always too white. Um, so I just wanted to uh, let people know that uh, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Galville 91.1 FM and from now really until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in with any questions either related to uh, the nuclear incident and uh, what can be done uh, or surrounding the rest of the topic of this month's show which is going to be serotonin, uh, serotonin uptake inhibitors and melatonin. Um, both of these are... I think widely known by people. Uh, people have heard of the SSRIs um, and they've heard of some of the controversies surrounding them. But it seems that um, people generally uh, believe that serotonin is a good, happy drug. If you look for it or you search for it on the web, uh, everyone talking about it says it's a feel-good, feel-good uh, hormone. Well, Dr. Pete, what do, you, what do you have to say about serotonin in terms of uh, your knowledge and information on it? Um, the body has uh, many responses to injury and uh, serotonin and estrogen are two of the most basic primitive uh, responses to any kind of generalized injury and uh, for example if you get sunburned uh, in the next few hours you can measure a large amount of serotonin in the urine and uh, that the same thing happens uh, for any kind of injury, including uh, ionizing radiation. Uh, uh, dental x-rays uh, are enough to um, activate the production of, of serotonin. And uh, it just it's one of the basic uh, defense mechanisms. What it does is uh, activate uh, simple things like uh, uh, shifting away from oxidative metabolism uh, to uh, glycolytic uh, uh, or um, even a, a kind of hibernating uh, shutdown of systems uh, at an extreme uh, overproduction of, of serotonin, uh, you tend to go into a hibernating state. Uh, animals, uh, according to the diet and, and uh, weather stress and so on, uh, before they go into hibernation for the winter, uh, will uh, be producing more and more serotonin. Uh, and uh, that's its, its uh, basic purpose, is to uh, keep the, the machinery running while shutting down the uh, expensive biological <laughs> processes. Actually, Dr. Pete, could I, uh, could I hold, ho ask you to hold that thought for a second? Okay. Um, there is actually a caller on the line, so I just wanted to make sure the person uh, gets on. You're on the air? Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, yeah, I had a couple questions. Uh, one, does anybody know how long it takes for the ocean currents from Japan to come over to the West Coast? I was looking at an old atlas, and there, the current goes north up Japan, 
and south down the west coast. And one of my fishermen friends says that it's actually seasonal. It, it mm-hmm. does that in the summertime, and it's something different in the winter or something. And the other question I had is, is anybody monitoring the the ocean um, uh, contamination from the plant? And, of course, everything that's not coming over to us is ending up, you know, most of it's probably going into the ocean. So, And I just wonder if anybody would know, maybe some callers would know. Okay. On that. Anyway, thank you very much. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll leave that open to other callers as I don't have that information in front of me and it would only be a, be a rough guess. So. I, I think some of the... So something like 80 to 100 miles a day, maybe. Right. Okay, there you go. It's uh, 4,000 miles, is it? Or... <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I think it's... More, more than that. I think it's 6,000, isn't it? Somewhere around there. Okay. Maybe even eight. (laughs) Takes 12 (laughs) hours flying or 11. Right. So that's. Okay. Well, let's let's carry on. Uh, We'll leave that thought open then for any other callers perhaps who've got that uh, specific information to hand. And then, um, Dr. P, if you'd you'd carry on, you were talking about uh, hibernation and uh, protective mechanism for expensive cellular uh, machinery. Uh, yeah, uh, in the 1950s and 60s, when the Soviets were uh, worried about getting hydrogen bombed, uh, they were doing a lot of research on ways to defend against uh, very intense radiation doses, and serotonin was one of the things that they were studying and looking for uh, uh, safe uh, analogs to use defensively, uh, because uh, a big dose of, of radiation puts the organism in a state where it can tolerate with maybe uh, reducing uh, mortality for a given dose by maybe 50% in some cases for uh, a dose of maybe a 1,000 uh, rads. And uh, the um, unfortunately for... Uh, the kind of dose that we're more likely to be exposed to, uh, serotonin is really what's causing the bulk of the damage. Uh, For example, if you give uh, cells in a a culture dish uh, the amount of X-ray exposure that you get uh, with a set of dental X-rays, these cells will, uh, if you put them in a, a, a photon detector, uh, they'll be emitting uh, photons, uh, light produced by uh, the, the cellular damage and excitation for over an hour after the exposure. And if you um, put unexposed cells in the water that those cells are in, uh, the, the even without being exposed to radiation, just to the emissions, such as serotonin, into the water, uh, the um, second uh, batch of cells will begin mutating uh, hours later. And people have have, uh, cultured these unexposed cells, exposed only to the uh, chemical products uh, produced by the injured cells. And... For 30 generations, wow. mutations uh, keep occurring, and 
uh, to form a human being, you only need about 30 uh, multiplications of, of the original fertilized ovum. Uh, so it's uh, wow. the, that one small exposure has tremendous repercussions. Uh, and, for example, a, a, a man with a, a X-ray treatment to a brain tumor, for example, is much more likely to have uh, children with uh, major uh, malformations. Uh, the injury is circulated through the body, uh, even affecting the, the health of the sperms and the uh, probably animal studies suggest that these uh, genetic instabilities uh, can go on for many generations of, of a whole uh, cycling organisms passing on their unstable genes. So do you think the amount of radiation we might be exposed to, however small it might be, right or in this area in Humboldt County or even up to Oregon or along the West Coast, is that... You're saying that's not a lot of radiation, but it could be causing our cells to express more serotonin and be exposed to more serotonin that then could have long-term negative effects? Um, yeah, probably uh, one single uh, atom uh, fissioning in your, in your body, it will cause that cell or a few cells to uh, produce those uh, toxic communicating substances and uh, the rest of the body <clears throat> if the person is healthy the rest of the body will shut down those excited signals mm -hmm. uh, so it's a matter of balancing the vitality of the whole organism against the number of these uh, injured cells okay good well we're going to talk about how we can um, balance that serotonin, but we do have a couple callers on the line. Actually, first a caller just wanted to interject that they had heard that it's going to take three years for the parts of houses that were washed out from the tsunami to start sh washing up on our beaches here. So, Three years? Three, three years, years according to one source, right. and we have another caller coming right on now. You're on the air. Oh, sorry. That was me. I did say that. It was on the BBC. Thanks a million for the program. It's uh, terrifyingly wonderful. Thanks. What was, the, what was the name of that program? I didn't quite hear that. Was that the name, Terrifyingly Wonderful? I'm not sure. It was on the BBC, whatever it was. I didn't, uh, I didn't hear the name of okay, the program. Okay, so that was the not there. That was the caller who said it would take three, she heard on the BBC it would take three no, years? No, that was a separate caller. Okay, well, let's get back to uh, what we were what we were doing here a minute ago with. Uh, okay, so Dr. Pete, uh, so if our cells are being exposed to a minute amount of radiation or more, if they're not telling us every the whole full picture, the full story, then and our cells are starting to express more serotonin, and our the vitality of our organism is trying to um, quell that cascade of inflammation. What can we do to keep our cells in a vital state? Um, if you think of the old studies of uh, uh, the radiation causing uh, DNA breaks, uh, they found uh, about 40 years ago that high thyroid function and uh, the magnesium 
taken up into the cells under the influence of thyroid uh, was the best way to accelerate the repair process so that you didn't have uh, the uh, lingering mutations from uh, breaking the chromosomes and the DNA. Uh, but that's, uh, that was the uh, repair activation for fairly high doses. But uh, there are processes that apply to uh, even the, the lowest exposure. Uh, for, for example, a, a study in Seattle two or three years ago uh, found that a, a full set of dental x-rays uh, to a woman who was pregnant uh, but wearing a lead apron and so on, uh, the exposure to her face would cause systemic uh, influences that would cause the babies to be under underweight and underdeveloped, uh, just as if she had uh, taken uh, an estrogenic substance uh, that was uh, stressing the system. And uh, animal studies found that... Uh, those estrogenic effects uh, coming from uh, the exposure of any part of the body to ionizing radiation uh, could be antagonized just like normal estrogen is by uh, a, a good dose of uh, progesterone or even mm -hmm. testosterone and uh, the, the usual uh, nutritional uh, things that help the body constantly controlled the estrogen that it's being exposed to. So um, just average everyday stress has a great overlap with uh, radiation injury, and uh, estrogen and serotonin happen to be the, uh, the things that we have the best handle on for uh, protecting ourselves from, from the long-range effects. Okay. Well... Um, how about the, um, um, gosh, all the serotonin, selective, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that uh, have come out, uh, some of which have been discontinued, some of which have been modified. Uh, what's, what's your opinion on, on these, this class of drugs in terms of their negative effects, knowing what they do energetically uh, within the body? Um, well, to the extent that they really are acting uh, largely on the serotonin. Uh, I think it's good to look for alternatives, mm -hmm. but um, much of that is just uh, advertising uh, invented uh, things for uh, going with the TV commercials. Uh, the, uh, the idea that they're a happy pill for uh, raising your happy hormone and that sort of thing, but actually they're acting on many uh, different processes, increasing ser uh, uh, adrenaline and uh, dopamine and uh, activating enzymes and inactivating other enzymes all through the body so no one really knows the full extent of what they're doing. And, mm -hmm. and some of what they're doing is uh, beneficial, some of it isn't. So it, it goes pill by pill. Mm. Uh, there are a few uh, very effective antidepressants that are the opposite. They're the uh, serotonin uptake promoters, <laughs> just exactly the opposite. Uh -huh. uh, but they even work better 
So which cases, which ones are what are the drug names well, for those serotonin reuptake promoters? Uh, the best studied is Tianeptine. Uh, the brand name is Stabilon, and some people get it over the internet, but mm -hmm. it, it isn't legal in the U.S. But it basically it promotes. You're saying it uh, it uh, promotes yeah. the uptake of serotonin, yeah. so it's less active, right. and S it has turns out to have lots of <laughs> beneficial effects on bodily health for arthritis and and uh, diabetes and uh, lots of inflammatory things that relate to overexposure to uh, uh, serotonin. So with people that have diabetes and arthritis, maybe for them to take a, a something that would block their serotonin, like your, this Estabilon, is that how you say it? <laughs> then that would help their symptoms and arthritis and... Um, yeah, I've I've talked to um, quite a few people who were taking it as an antidepressant who um, had very dramatic physical improvements at the same time. Wow. And if the uh, physical conditions are all things that are known to be associated with high serotonin. And uh, there's a whole class of, of uh, anti-serotonin drugs that are uh, becoming uh, popular for uh, more uses. For example, uh, some of their uses are to prevent nausea or diarrhea from radiation exposure. Mm. But what they're doing is protecting you from the uh, serotonin, which is a byproduct of the radiation exposure. Wow. And you can even uh, prevent sunburn with an anti-serotonin drug. So do you, I wonder if the Japanese... Um, medical system is giving the people that have been exposed to high levels of radiation, I wonder if they're giving them these anti-serotonin drugs. I suspect that they're just as hypnotized by the pharmaceutical industry as Americans are. So what kind of, um, what are the, some of the names of these anti-serotonin drugs that are used for nausea and diarrhea oh, and radiation exposure? Ondansetron is the most popular anti-nausea, anti-serotonin drug, but I think one of the best is called Lizuride, L-I-S-U-R-I-D-E. Uh, and all of these are um, uh, based on the same uh, uh, indole molecular structure that uh, serotonin is, but they uh, are tuned in a different way by additives, for example, adding uh, a bromine, uh, bromocryptine, is one that's used to uh, treat pituitary tumors uh, because uh, prolactin is promoted by stress or by serotonin or by radiation. And uh, by modifying the, the, the uh, indole molecule uh, from the ergot fungus, uh, is, that's the basic uh, molecule that... Uh, is used for these anti-serotonin drugs. Uh, by modifying it slightly, it blocks the effect of serotonin and uh, shrinks the pituitary tumor by uh, preventing the uh, stimulating effects of, of the uh, serotonin. Wow. 
Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Rogue Doctor on KMED Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30, and uh, that's gone, it's 7.35, until the end of the show here at 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's topic of uh, serotonin, melatonin and misconceptions in medical drugs. Uh, and we have with a special guest speaker, Dr. Raymond Pete, uh, who's able to answer any questions that you may have about that subject and or the uh, ongoing Fukushima accident and what can be done safely to help yourself avoid any unnecessary harm. Okay, so uh, serotonin, we've, uh, it, it's so strange, it's come, come full circle that, that serotonin is supposed to be the happy pill and yet slowly but surely through one mistake or another they're now bringing around anti-serotonin drugs. Well, our tax dollars are paying for research in medical universities. <laughs> well, I think it. I don't know exactly if it's tax dollars or not, but all these professors and our people doing their PhDs are doing this research on these things, and yet the general public, That's when right. they go to see their doctor and they ask for this drug or that drug... Well, that's not what they get prescribed. doesn't matter what the research shows. It has to go through how many... Oh, it's just very frustrating. Well, how about melatonin, Dr. Pete? Oh, well, the body uh, has enzymes uh, that are activated by stress. For example, in the pineal gland, uh, adrenaline is the signal. Adrenaline rises in the darkness because uh, ordinary light is... uh, uh, preventing some of the free radical activity that uh, rises uh, in the darkness. That mm-hmm. activates uh, adrenaline, and the adrenaline is the immediate activator of the enzyme which converts serotonin into melatonin. Uh, but this same enzyme system can be found in an inflamed breast or a rheumatic uh, knee joint, for example, And uh, uh, in these situations of inflammation, uh, melatonin is, some people have have believed that melatonin was uh, at fault for causing rheumatoid arthritis. But uh, actually, it seems to be uh, performing the same function that it does in the brain, uh, a way of uh, eliminating serotonin, which is the actual pro-inflammatory substance. And uh, since uh, serotonin stimulates cell division and inflammation, uh, the presence of this enzyme in the in the breast is being considered uh, one of the approaches uh, for preventing or treating breast cancer uh, to accelerate the removal of mm-hmm. serotonin. And into the breakdown of serotonin into melatonin. Yeah. Wow. We have a caller on the line. Hey, caller, you're on there. Hi, yeah, a um, couple of questions, uh, and you've gotten actually to where my question was going to go, how serotonin relates to melatonin. And I'm, I'm understanding that serotonin is converted by adrenaline into melatonin, and uh, is that part of, as a body has maybe done a lot of work, uh, that sort of downshifts them into a sleep mode, because I understand and it's available as a supplement, melatonin is, uh, to help people relax and uh, get to a sleep state sooner um yeah but probably melatonin has a, a fairly direct uh, anti-serotonin effect it hasn't been studied very much but uh, besides eliminating the serotonin by uh, combining it chemically 
uh, turning it into melatonin. Uh, I suspect that the melatonin is actually uh, a defense as an antagonist to some extent uh, against the serotonin. And when you say antagonist, that uh, I want to make sure I understand the term. It means uh, basically that it uh, counters or converts whatever that uh, material that it's an antagonist to into something else or neutralizes its effect? Uh, neutralizes the effect, I, I think. It, uh, the, the presence of the enzyme that uh, changes serotonin to melatonin, uh, it's present in inflamed situations. And I think that's a way of uh, getting down the level of serotonin, but I think the presence of melatonin itself uh, blocks some of the effects such as free radical production activated by serotonin. So melatonin in and of itself would be an anti-serotonin in effect, I would, I would understand. Uh, yeah. I don't know how, how uh, great that effect is, but I think there's evidence that it has some of that effect. Now, you mentioned something a little bit ago that uh, piqued my curiosity. We've got this huge problem with diabetes, and I think that a lot of it is related to high fructose corn syrup, if I can say that obscenity on the air. And uh, the uh, uh, other thing, that, since you brought this up, I'm curious as to whether the huge influx of uh, um, SSRIs such as Prozac, etc., may also have contributed to the uh, rise in diabetes and obesity amongst very young uh, kids that seem to be the lab rats for the pharmaceutical industry when it comes to giving them these new allegedly wonderful uh, antidepressants. Um, a study at UCLA that came out last summer uh, analyzed the um, uh, corn syrup sweetener that's used in soft drinks, and they um, chemically tested it and found that it contained just the amount of fructose and glucose that it was claimed to have, but then they hydrolyzed it and found that it contained polysaccharide, starch-like material, containing four to five times the amount of calories that the original wow. sugar had. So it's basically a syrup or a starch-like material with four or five times as many calories as you think you're getting from the sugars. And then if somebody were taking uh, a lot of those type of uh, foods and was given an antidepressant that was uh, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, that might even further compound the problem. Uh, well, uh, the, um, these uh, polysaccharides that aren't easily digested uh, by our human en enzymes uh, are likely to feed bacteria lower in the intestine that produce uh, fermentation products, including lactic acid, which are responsible for causing the intestine to increase its already great production of serotonin and to cause it to be absorbed into the circulation uh, in quantities enough to affect behavior. Uh, anxiety, for example, is increased in animals in proportion to uh, the fermentation of these uh, starch-like molecules. So uh, I suspect that the starchy materials in the corn sweetener are pretty directly 
increasing exposure to serotonin. Well, I wonder if anyone has done a study on someone taking Prozac or related SSRI who's also obese um, would, uh, you know, expose the uh, real cause of this whole thing spinning out of control and causing all this obesity. It's a really an interesting point that you brought up, and it made me think along those lines. And before I go, I did want to mention to previous callers, um, there are some websites that should have the information as to how long those radionuclides and weather in general coming across the Pacific from Japan and the whole Asian continent over here to the Pacific coast, and that would be the NOAA website, the USGS website, Helen Caldecott, I'm sorry, Helen Caldecott, and Physicians for Social Responsibility will have all kinds of information on radiation and radionuclides and its after effects, and probably will have some links to other websites that might have good information on that. And there should be a UC Berkeley site that has specific uh, transmission across the uh, Pacific. I saw on a newscast specifically what that caller was asking about, and it was just a few days because of the, the jet stream. So if it gets up into the jet stream, that's why we here in the Cape Mendocino area, both in Humboldt and uh, Mendocino County, uh, we were the first landfall of the detected radionuclides a few days after that occurred. Thank you very much for the program, and yeah. I always enjoy listening to the information that you bring to the air. Yeah, Thank you for welcome. your call. Thank you for calling. So we do have one or two more calls <coughs> on the line, so let's take the next caller. Actually, your engineer has a question oh. about inflammation. Okay. Uh, I keep honeybees and get stung a lot, and I've heard it's good to stop inflammation, yet I get inflamed when I get stung. Mm -hmm. So what's going on? Probably developing some kind of hypersensitivity to it. Did you, did you get the same inflammation? Oh no, no, I, I get a, no. I mean, at the site of the sting, it's inflamed. Mm -hmm. But I hear it's good for you and anti-inflammatory in the long run. So I was wondering if you knew anything about that. And it seems to be good. Okay, yeah, I, I, I heard a little bit about the uh, treatment of uh, arthritis uh, with bee stings. I know that I've heard about the uh, nettles thrashing the Romans thrashing themselves with nettles. Uh, to relieve joint pains and that uh, seems a little bit, I don't know, in terms of the histamine, Dr. Pete, what would you think about the uh, histamine reaction uh, um, from from that? I've, I've heard that um, it's the um, high cortisol production from the, the pain as well as the histamine and serotonin uh, from the, the venom itself. Uh, serotonin has uh, some very direct actions on the uh, uh, cortisol producing system and uh, I think it's maybe analogous to um, uh, the way surgery can cure things um, the in animal research uh, they have to do a control uh, false surgery on one group of animals because it's so common for the trauma of just being cut to cure whatever it was they were thinking uh, surgery was curing. Wow. And uh, a very painful uh, bee sting will activate your adrenals to the point that uh, it can relieve uh, uh, the swollen knee, for example. Right, from the cortisol. Uh, counter uh, irritation that doctors used to practice. Okay, uh, we do actually have two more callers on the line, so let's take the next caller. You're, you're Hello. Um, the pharmaceutical industry makes a claim that these um, 
SSRIs increase the receptors for serotonin, accounting for long-term effects even after the drugs are stopped. Um, I wonder if you could comment about that. Um, if you um, uh, block a, a transmitter, the body adaptively increases the so-called receptors. So uh, increasing the exposure to something usually decreases the receptors for that substance in an adaptive process so everything ends up uh, more or less the way it started. And uh, the whole idea of the receptor, I think, is just another uh, ploy of the industry uh, to uh, make things simple for television advertising and for medical school. Uh, the, uh, when you look carefully at, at the, the long-range uh, arguments uh, behind the whole receptor idea, people for 60 years or more have been pointing out that uh, the state of the organism and of the cell absolutely determines how a given substance is going to affect the cell, uh, exciting it or inhibiting it, for example. And uh, it isn't necessarily that you make more of the so-called receptor protein, but that the whole state of the cell, uh, the energy uh, charge, for example, of the cell, uh, governs what uh, activation of that receptor protein is going to do to the whole cell. Uh, so I think the, uh, the only way to think of a receptor is that the organism is the receptor or the cell is the receptor because the state of the, of the brain uh, affects the way the, um, the gonad or the adrenal, for example, is going to uh, respond to a given chemical because everything is constantly being subjected to nervous chemical and uh, energy uh, inputs. Uh, caller, is your phone on? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah sorry. We're ha I'm having a really hard time here. <laughs> Callers, always turn your phone off, please. Okay, next question. No, I didn't mean you to hang up. Okay, well, we do have another caller. Yeah, let's take the next caller. Callers always turn their radios off before you talk on the phone, yeah. right? <laughs> so that's I said phone, huh? Whoops, sorry. <laughs> okay. I think the next caller should be there. Are you there, caller? Yeah, I'm here. Um, I, uh, uh, I can't hear you too well, but uh, uh, let me get my question. Now, you, this show is just fascinating, I, I must say, uh, and uh, the expertise is well, well appreciated uh, that you're sharing it with us on the air. I, I want to find out, because... Uh, I, uh, I'm currently taking Lexapro and, uh, and also, uh, sometimes I get migraines and I take, uh, Imitrex and, uh, and, uh, I know that Imitrex is, uh, well, it sure works well on, uh, on those migraines and, uh, and, you know, uh, and I got a thyroid condition, uh, so I'm hypothyroid, I take Synthroid and, I just kind of wondered if there's a, if the serotonin uh, uptake inhibitors are any kind of a problem for, uh, for uh, you know, the thyroid uh, situation. 
Uh, yeah, they're very closely connected. Uh, uh, for a long time, it's been uh, clear that uh, hypothyroid people often have extremely high serotonin levels. Uh, and so uh, the active part of the thyroid hormone, T3, uh, synthroid is just T4, which requires the liver to activate it. Uh, the active thyroid hormone increasing will decrease uh, the uh, production of and retention of uh, serotonin. And uh, serotonin uh, being in inflammation promoting uh, and affecting uh, uh, constriction and leakiness of blood vessels uh, is a major uh, factor in migraines, which uh, are mostly uh, associated with hypothyroidism. Well, you know, I, I also take uh, Cytomel. Yeah, Cytomel yeah. is a good um, anti-thyroid, anti-serotonin uh, thing, and with the right amount of it, uh, it's um, pretty effective against migraines. Uh, that was uh, one of my uh, first interests in endocrinology was my own migraines. Ah. Uh, I found that uh, it was... Uh, largely an interaction between intestinal inflammation, which 95% of our serotonin is made in the intestine, and any kind of irritation in the intestine increases our exposure to serotonin, but especially if your thyroid function is low, uh, causing inefficient sugar metabolism, uh, hypothyroidism plus uh, a sensitive intestine uh, will uh, cause periodic uh, flooding of uh, the system with serotonin, uh, which uh, can be measured in migraine attacks uh, during an attack or just before an attack, the serotonin uh, rises tremendously. So it is, I, I can't hear everything you're saying, but it, the, the upshot is, is, it, it, is there a problem to, to combine uh, you know, the Lexapro and the Imitrex and uh, the Synthroid and the Cytomel and all that crap they got me on? Um, there is a blood test for serotonin uh, that I think more people should be uh, checking on. Uh, it's uh, much more meaningful than uh, the urine tests and so on. And uh, the, um, the long-range effects uh, of uh, excess serotonin exposure uh, are very similar to the uh, long-range effects of, of chronic radiation or chronic estrogen exposure. Uh, they acutely can produce uh, inflammation, but if you keep up the exposure in the long run, you uh, uh, increase your tendency to have fibrosis of uh, Various tissues. Okay, uh, one, one one last question for the host there. Uh, you guys, are the ones that own uh, the Western Botanical Medicine Company. Yeah. Well, I, I've tried it. I, I initially had real good luck on your uh, with your headache relief medicine uh -huh. or your whatever you call it, the tincture, and uh, but I, I thought I bought it again recently and I hadn't bought it for a while. But it looked. Did you change the dosage amount for a migraine? Because I. I thought I used to use more of it when 
for a migraine, uh, and it uh, seems now like the migraine and the and the other kind of headaches have the same kind of dosage. Was there some change? Yes, there was a label change. Okay, but and it was also a, a dosage recommendation change on that. Right. What I I just recommended the same type of dose, whether you were. You can still take up to the 20 milliliters per day, but I re- changed the dosage because if you were having a stress or tension headache, I'm not allowed to put that on the label, and I, I can't put migraine on the label either. So I, <laughs> I have to just put for occasional headaches. I see. Okay, yeah, because that, that helps explain it because I, 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 when I took the, the, the lower dosage that you talk about now, it didn't seem to have the same effect as uh, the dose that I had previously been recommended to. So I guess I'll just try to go back to that. Okay. Oh, and thanks. That's a good product. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you for your call. Right. Bye-bye. Well, there's one more call on the line. We better not take it because Because I still hello? have to give some recommendations for nutritional advice before we get off the yeah, air we're tonight. Going, so, we're hello? we three and a half minutes. So hello, you're on the air. Nobody Are they are taking me? Okay, yeah, no. Hello. Yes, my name is Louise, and I live on Spy Rock Mountain, and I have a thyroid condition. And I take uh, Levothyroxine prescribed by my doctor every month. But I also, I'm 60 years old, and I also take a Tylenol for high blood pressure. And I've recently been having some migraine headaches again, and I was wondering, does my thyroid have something to do with that? Well, there's lots of different things that could cause uh, migraine headaches, but uh, it would be good if you came for a consultation and we could look at your nutritional status. That's always a good place to start. And if you okay. email Are you going to be in Cavemud or Midway? Or? Well, I'll give you my number um, at the end of the show. If you'll just listen in a couple more minutes, I'm going to give uh, our phone number and Dr. Pete's website, and you can contact him, and you can also contact us, and we'd okay. be more than happy to discuss nutritional um, advice with you. Okay, because I am overweight, and I'm very, very uh, saddened and concerned about this. I've never been overweight before in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I've never, and my thyroid condition, I have real bad migraines also. I mean, the couple, the the couple, both of those things. Well, we'd be happy to um, talk with you, and we'll give you that information in a little bit. I'm sorry, we have to um, end the callers. And I wanted to briefly mention before the end of the show that Dr. Pete's talked about starches, as in the form of the corn syrup, irritating the intestine and increasing serotonin. So one way we can protect ourselves from this radiation and the ser- increased serotonin effects of inflammation is to replace our starches, which are grains and beans and um, starchy vegetables like cooked potatoes and carrots and beets, replace those with soft, ripe, juicy fruits. And also by keeping our thyroid function high with lots of coconut oil, up to three tablespoons a day, plenty of foods with calcium, local dairy, if it's still okay around here. <laughs> it seems to be that hasn't, Eureka level hasn't changed. And also plenty of um, good fruit sugars. And Dr. Pete, did you have any final comments? Uh, no, I think that covers okay. it. Okay, well, for those that are listening, Dr. Raymond uh, Pete, endocrinologist and research biochemist, his uh, website is www.raypeat.com. And uh, my name's Andrew. My name's Sarah, and our phone number is 888-926-4372, which is WBM for Western Botanical Medicine, HERB, H-E-R-B. 
thank you to all of you who listen regularly and uh, those who tuned in this evening. To those who have ears, let them hear. And support for KMED comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And support for KMED comes in part from the Lost, Lost, sorry, the North Coast. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.